Welcome back to the Manufacturing Come Up. I'm your host, Malachi Greb, and I have a special guest today, one who's purifying our air, Peter Mann. How's it going, Peter? Uh, it's going great. How are you, Malachi? Doing well, doing well. I think it. I think it's pretty interesting that you're in the air purification business. Um, I'm fairly big on health. I, I took a deep dive, I mean, some like five, eight years ago, and was like researching a lot on like health and water, or not health, but air and water and and you know how to improve some of those things in a household so uh i think it's pretty cool that that you're out here uh purifying our air yeah thanks yeah it's really um i guess ever since COVID, it's gotten a lot more attention um than previously obviously <laughs> with the virus in the air but um yeah i think you know i think there's a lot of research underway and i i think um it's going to definitely get um you know, more attention and um, awareness, which is, you know, going to directly lead to better health outcomes for folks. What what got you into to air purification? Yeah, I got um, interested. Gosh, this was like almost 20 years ago. So my, my son was an infant and um, had asthma and was going through asthma attacks and, um, you know, really struggling with that. And allergies were one of the triggers for him. And so I started to kind of start to research it and figure out, like, how can we make his life better? And I've just kind of stuck with it, just kind of been more or less a personal mission to <laughs> try and help people's lives. And, you know, and, you know, kind of what you breathe in in the air is really not that much different than like drinking or eating the quality of the food that you're putting into your body. So, um, right. you know, and for him, you know, as an infant, just watching him struggle and change color and have to deal with steroids and and whatnot it was just it was rough and so you know i'm trying to look for a, a healthy way that you know was not you know to really minimize the the drugs um that was the part that was you know i i didn't know anything about this before <laughs> i didn't know anything right. about asthma or allergies or because i i at the up to that point i had not experienced any of it myself what uh so did you have any type of like engineering background or anything like that what like kind of what led you into into start taking this on i mean that that took you know that was the reason why but what was kind of like some of the background to get you there yeah so in the i i guess you know leading up to that i'd worked for a couple um, tech companies i worked for tech data in florida which is a large um, computer distributor and i worked for dell um and at dell i i um you know helped um it was really a marketing lead on the printer launch uh, i did some development functionality for Dell.com. Um, and in early 2000s is when the dot-com bubble burst. Um, and so I had no business experience other than what I learned working for those companies. My, my background is really more math and industrial engineering. And um, yeah, and so when the dot-com bubble burst and we were doing round after round the layoffs at Dell, um, I, I met this friend. I was, you know, living in Austin at the time, and you know, we started an e-commerce business. And so I, I worked at Dell from eight to five, and then from seven to eleven p.m. I was worked on this e-commerce e business. And so it wasn't really so much the engineering experiences that I knew how databases work. I knew how to set up websites. I knew, and and we were really just reselling other people's products. Um, and back in the early 2000s, this was, you know, before Facebook, before, you know, and there was Google and, you know, it was five cents a click. And so it was super yeah. cheap to get traffic. And, you know, I, I came from Dell where we were competing with HP and some other big companies. 
and now I'm in this internet competing with mom and pops selling tankless water heaters or, <laughs> and, you know, so one of the categories was, was air purifiers that we sold. And, um, you know, I just got to, got to learn the market. Um, and then eventually, um, in 2009, I sold my half to business, to my business partner to create a brand focused, you know, entirely on indoor air quality. It's mm. kind of, you know, it's kind of grown since then. I never would have imagined that we, you know, you know, now in 2023, moving into manufacturing ourselves and our facility, um, never would have predicted that <laughs> back when this whole thing started. How do, how did the two things play, play a role with one another as far as like your personal mission and the e-commerce and the e-commerce side of things and, and how those kind of like merged together? I mean, I think it was just a natural of evolution and um you know i kind of really like design um you know my dad was a mechanical engineer and we would just you know he he basically would just design everything and we would just build it so that was like my <laughs> my background as a kid growing up and um i've always wanted to you know really be efficient and you know ideally make things ourselves um, but to make a motor and an air purifier and all that, I, I didn't really know where to begin. And so it was kind of a kind of stepped into it where um, initially it was, you know, I worked with some folks and we designed the machine and then had a contract manufactured. Um, and, you know, when COVID kind of blew up, um, I've partnered with um, or actually we merged with a, an electric motor company in Virginia um in 2021 and that's how i you know we ended up here and we bought a 156,000 square foot manufacturing facility so we got got a lot of space and um you know and we have a ton of engineering talent in house and so um yeah i'm really excited to be able to take things from raw materials and components to being able to make the complete thing and deliver it straight to the end user how long have you guys been doing the manufacturing or not necessarily doing the manufacturing, but how long have you guys actively been selling the product? So, yeah, I've been since 2010 is, is really when we started selling products and um, we've, you know, probably brought seven or eight different products to market. Um, I've worked with us contract manufacturers and Chinese contract manufacturers and they work very differently <laughs> and it's, you know, just really super excited about being able just to do it all ourselves. Um, and the, you know, the challenge I think for us manufacturing is, you know, how do you, how are you cost competitive um, with these low cost imports? And so that's why it's, you know, it's taken us two or three years to get to the point where we're, you know, ready to start doing it ourselves. Cause it's, you know, it's taken a lot of effort to figure out how do you, how do you take labor out, which is really the variable um, in the manufacturing right. side? You've mentioned it that it really it goes into the design of the product. There's so much uh, design that can go into the product that makes the the manufacturing process just that much easier. Um, and I think a lot of companies they kind of miss that whenever it comes to like product design. Yeah, absolutely. Like you you can't take a product the way it's designed in China and then just make it that way here and expect to be competitive on price. You have to find like uh, more efficient ways of of doing it and that's what we've done and what we found is um, if you know if you can take something, I don't know, from 20 parts down to 8 parts. I mean it's just it's just so much um, simpler to put together. You take the reduced number of screws, like every everything adds up. 
Um, and you know, what we've had to do or what we've noticed is when the, you know, Chinese within our category make products, they, they really minimize their upfront tooling costs. And so they do it as, um, inexpensively as possible, which, which kind of leads you to create a lot of very simple parts. Um, and then that puts a burden on the assembly side of it. And so what we were looking at is, well, let's make fewer parts, but they're obviously more complex parts and they, they take longer to design and tool up and the tooling is a little more, you know, intricate <laughs> to, to yeah. get that going. But once you have that, then your variable costs and your labor costs are, are really reduced. And, you know, that's, I think, one way that you can compete. Absolutely. I don't like, you know, with us being an automation company, not not all the time, just like throwing automation is something is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's like modifying the product, modifying the process. Like there's a lot of other ways to, to go about uh, increasing your manufacturing throughput. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think it's really through automation and through efficiency is in it is yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to do it um, because yeah. it's because component costs are really not that much different if you buy something here or you know, source it in China. It's just the putting it together. Um, it, it's, it's really where the yeah. it's really where the cost comes in. Right. Absolutely. Whenever you uh, started your company, did it feel like a huge leap for you or what was that transition like in your life? Uh, no, I mean, the you know, when I started the first business, it, you know, I was I had the security blanket of Dell and a salary. So, and I just put in the sweat equity to, you know, build the other one, and, you know, and it was actually it only took six or seven months of that to kind of get it to where it's like, yeah, this thing has legs and. I think I can leave Dell behind and jump into that with with really minimizing the risk um, in right. doing that because it's there is you know that was something I always worried about is is like well how, what what am I going to do for income like <laughs> just yeah. start something new and I've never done it before and you know it was a way for me to test the waters um, in a you know and really just minim minimize any kind of risk involved. Yeah, and I think too like like you said like just kind of jumping into a you know, a company and then, you know, not doing something before. And like, even though there's like this thing that you want to do, uh, like having something behind you that has legs, like being able to build something out that shows like a little bit of proof and like mitigates that risk is like very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, some folks are, you know, maybe just more willing to jump into it, but I, I was not wired that way to <laughs> just right. cut the cord and hope for the best. Yeah. How long did you did you operate with that company? So I did that for about six years, and then, you know sold that, and then you know started this business in two thousand nine or end of two thousand nine. So yeah, this has been thirteen, almost fourteen years, um, and it's you know it's kind of a you know I, I was talking with someone the other day, and it's like you know you hear in the media about companies that just you know, in two years, just blow up and become huge. But in my experience, most people, it's a long, slow, <laughs> it's a long, slow yeah. journey. It's in, you know, and sometimes those rocket ships that take off kind of come down just as fast as they went up. So, yeah. um, you know, you got to build kind of a, a foundation that you can, you know, you can work off of, you know, it's, um, you know, for every company, I think that gets attention or raises a ton of money, there's probably a hundred or a thousand other ones that nobody's talking about. Another thing that you don't see is like those companies that are super successful. A lot of times it is that that 10 years of hard work and then 
just so happens like these these last two years like they've really exploded because like all the hard work finally just started paying off and they started really seeing the returns from everything yeah exactly um i think that's exactly the case <laughs> it's just but it's yeah it's it's interesting how it's how it's portrayed or you know i think if you're an entrepreneur or you know starting off in a business and that's kind of what you see it's a it's a bit of a distorted view on reality and so i think it helps yeah. to have some grounding in terms of you know what's realistic and you know what success looks like and in understanding like what my experience everything takes longer and costs more than, <laughs> than what you would yeah. think when it came to starting the second business was it like a a pretty hard transition between you were you were done with that business and then you started this one or, or was, there, was there like a like merge period where you were kind of doing both at the same time um no that was it was kind of a clean cut and then i i took a short break and then just jumped right into the the new business um yeah and so you know i was kind of you know i'm kind of you know wired to want to work and so i was going crazy doing nothing <laughs> some people can take breaks and check out but i'm like i need to i need to be doing something i just can't sit here idle do you what through that period of time have you had you been doing like the education phase of like air purifiers or, or where were you at in that phase um so i mean in the first business i really learned the market really well i understood you know what customers cared about and um, when he started the new business it was really more around just designing products for the right. problems people have it wasn't yeah. <laughs> it's basically it, you hear the same thing over and over again and it's like all right we're just going to do it build it that way you know build for what the customer wants not necessarily what we think is um something different um and, and now right. it's it's really fascinating that with covid there's so many new brands and competitors in the space um it's it's really a different the market's really changed and so now we're you know i think we're really in a good position with what we've done from a product development standpoint to to um, to, to really thrive in this environment because it's just it's oversaturated. <laughs> it's there's too many. Yeah. It's like you've doubled the brands and then the market's the same size. It creates kind of <laughs> a lot of yeah. I think it's extremely important that you mentioned like like with the, through your other business that you was able to like kind of understand the market of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge part, like, you know, like say for instance, for myself, it was a pretty hard transition for me doing like engineering and project management, uh, to, to operating a company. I also did a, like a lot of, uh, just research and, and knowledge building of like how to op or how to scale a business. So like, I had a lot of knowledge of like how to scale a business, how to like retain employees. Really a lot of the knowledge was on like operating a, a bigger company, you know, maybe like. 50 plus employees or something like that. Right. And so I had a lot of like education that I taught myself on those type of things came from an engineering background, project management background, and then transitioned to operating a company with, with like zero employees, then one employees and two employees. And, um, you know, there's like definitely a phase that could have helped. Like if I was operating some smaller company, given I operated in a smaller company. So like I was able to kind of see the inner workings of some of those things, but I also wasn't operating like the business side of things. Um, so just like being able to like have some type of experience that like builds like fundamental knowledges, like, like you said, you knew, you knew the market, you knew what the customers really liked and disliked about the product. And so like that gave you like a good, like, 
like point of view and measurement and like, you know, I, I haven't done a lot of e-commerce myself, but I understand how it works. And like, you're able to test a lot of things through that. Like, does this image work? Does that image not work? Does this title work better? Does like, you know, and so like going through and, and being able to test all these different things, you kind of like, you learn some type of like uh, business aspect or marketing aspect that, that maybe you, you can't really catch without, without just kind of doing and experiencing the thing. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes it helps if you don't have that experience, ideally find someone that does The you know, what I've seen with engineers or engineering is uh, design and marketing are um, like different worlds. And <laughs> it's kind of like, if you, if you grew up in the engineering world and you're always just trying to make something work better or uh, be more efficient, um, there, there's other folks that look at it from a design aesthetics, usability, what the customer cares about, user experience, that is not necessarily inherent within um, some engineering development and, and processes. And so it's 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 been kind of fascinating for me since we merged our, our companies together uh, with, with a largely engineering B2B focus with a business that's, you know, uh, consumer direct to consumer focus which is it's like things that are obvious in a direct to consumer business are not obvious to the engineers that have not worked with consumers it's it's really um right. been kind of fascinating and and there's there's points of um I, I don't know if conflict is the right word but you know if you've ever designed a product and you have engineers and then you have the um industrial designers that are um, making it look good or the user, you know, user interface work a certain way. And then that creates conflict with the end. It's always those touch points, which is kind of where the rubber meets the road as <laughs> to like which way you go with it. Cause you could perfectly yeah. engineer something, but that doesn't mean someone's going to want to buy that. Right. It has to like, do I even want to put this in my room? Is this something I want to show off? Is this something that yeah. I'm going to, talk about or, you know, um, get excited about emotionally. Um, and that's mm -hmm. very distant from the engineering. So for me, it's really interesting to see all the, the different pieces. And, and I would say, um, you know, if you're an engineering person and you're looking to, you know, get into entrepreneurship or, or sell things, especially if it's to a, to a consumer base is to really understand, you know, the consumer's needs and, and the marketplace and, um, and, and it's like, you don't know what you don't know. Um, if, if you've been kind of in one specific area and, and the same thing on the marketing industrial design standpoint is you don't understand engineering. <laughs> and so it's, it's really about getting all sides on the same page. Um, and, and there are certain points where you have to compromise, I think in terms of, yeah. especially if you're developing a product is like, you know, if there, there's points where it's like, well, this would be perfect from a design standpoint, but it creates problems on the engineering standpoint, or, um, you know, they call it in tooling, like the A side and the B side. And it's like, <laughs> you know, one of them, you know, can't override so much the other one that it, that it creates a problem in, you know, the other side. So it's, um, and, right. and I think the, you know, first step is just having awareness of that, um, of your blind spots, yeah. because everyone does, um, you don't, you know, I, you know, I, th I think if you come from the engineering world and you've not been exposed to it, it's it's just this weird world that you're not going to understand or or some of it's it's a bit art versus science. And you can't necessarily tie 
uh, spend to a specific result. And that just becomes from an engineering standpoint, like it doesn't compute. It's yeah. I think like one thing it's like, so say for instance, like with the, you know, our type of work, it's a, it's a lot of engineers, uh, but you know, we may be, we may be selling a project to a, you know, a project manager, plant manager or something like that. But for future success, really the, the system needs to be very operator friendly. The operator is the one that's going to really deal with it in the long term, and and you know the easier they can get a system up and running, and, and the better their experience is with it, that's going to be a, a better. Uh, it's just going to be a better selling point, right? Yeah. Because that's going to live on for years versus an operator saying, "Oh, I'm always struggling with this system; it's always down." And, and a lot of that stuff is is operator interface. You can design like one of the best systems, but if it's extremely complex for the operator to use it then it's going to get a kind of a bad rap over some time. So it's like extremely important to, to, you know, adapt to whoever that end user is and uh, just make sure the product fits them and is exactly what they're, what they're looking for and need. Yeah. Cause otherwise, like, how are you going to sell these things? Like if nobody wants to use it or if it doesn't, you know, and, and the more, you know, problems you can solve or the easier you can make someone's life, the, the easier it is to sell these things and get them to talk about it and, you know, other people would buy it. So it's, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's really just solving problems, I think. And, and, um, and, and part of it obviously is just really being connected with, you know, whoever the customer and end user are the, whatever you're making. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to do a little bit of a shift. I know one of, uh, our earlier emails with one another or you with our team, um, was uh regarding autism awareness month i just wanted to see if you wanted to dive into that any um sure yeah i guess april is autism awareness month some people say autism acceptance month i'm not sure <laughs> i kind of uh yeah i see both sides of it like so i was late diagnosed autistic um i think you know if you're if you grew up before the 2000s and you're an adult, you're most likely, and you're autistic, you're most likely late diagnosed just because they weren't diagnosing many people before the 2000s. It just, you know, unless you were very high support needs. And so, you know, I've kind of, you know, I kind of lived my life and didn't realize I was autistic until I saw, or my wife saw like a CBS morning show and they profiled an autistic woman and she described her traits and she's like, Oh, you need to see this. <laughs> and so I watched it and I'm like, Oh, that's me. And so, yeah. And so, you know, I've kind of, you know, and, and it's like every couple of years, the stats come out where they, they keep diagnosing higher and higher percentages of kids with, um, as being autistic and, um, and what's kind of fascinating to me is there's so many adults that are out there that are autistic, they have no idea. Um, you know, if it's like two, two and a half percent of the population, you know, like in the seventies, when I was in elementary school, it was like one in 2,500 were diagnosed. And then in 2000, it was like one in 150. And then this, this week they came out and said it's one in 36. And so it's like to go from one in 2,500 to one in 36 is, it's like, like, so that means, and it's not like that, that there's more people that are autistic. It's the diagnostics have changed the awareness of like medical professionals and, in, in looking at kids have, have, has brought into where they're like, oh no, that's not this. They're just autistic. 
And, you know, because people have been diagnosed with other things and given medication for things they don't have because, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I think we think we're so advanced sometimes. And when you look at the brain or you look at understanding for these kinds of things, it's like, it it seems like we're, we're still in the early days if, (laughs) if the the percentages are changing, you know, that much. And, um, you know, I think when you're, when you're dying, you know, and I just mentioned it because, um, you, you know, there, I don't know how many, I, I would say probably half the adults that are autistic are have not even been diagnosed. So there's all these people living their lives <laughs> unaware. And it's, and it's like, for me, finding out is kind of life-changing because it's like, oh, that explains so much. And it, you know, you kind of don't feel pressure to, you know, act a certain way or, you know, just be yourself. I'd say, you know, what, what, what are, what are some of like the key indicators? So for me, it's a hyper-focus is a, is a trait. Like, um, they call it, there's a term called monotropism. You can Google it. It's called a flow state where you can get really focused in on something and I can block everything off that's going around me and just be so like in my head on something. And there's all these like positive chemicals that are, that are, you know, that you get from that. And, you know, it's not great if somebody's there with you trying to say something and you don't hear what they say (laughs) in a personal relationship. It can, it can be problematic sometimes, but, um, it's really having uh, hyper-focus. It's, it's usually, uh, having certain routines that you do. And that's really Mm -hmm. just to manage anxiety is, is a lot of what that's about. Um, and sensory sensitivity is another one that's kind of not well understood, but it's pretty common amongst autistics where um, things that the typical person finds annoying, the autistic person can find disabling. And so, for example, um, you know, any of the senses, but um, for me, it's, it's sound, which I think is the most common one. Like if you go to a, a restaurant and it's loud, people just talk louder, right? <laughs> and yeah. for me, it's like I can hear every conversation and they're amplified to the point where it's like Charlie Brown's teacher talking on a turn the volume up and I can't hear, I hear little bits of all the conversations and none of the conversations. (laughs) And then it just kind of goes to a shutdown where it's like, I can't even function in this environment. And then they're like, what's wrong with, what's wrong with you? You're not, you're not joining in. It's like, I don't know how to, it's like, it just, it's not working. And so that's, you know, something that is, you know, pretty common among autistics that um, I think it's just a a level of intensity where, you know, I talk to other people and they're like, oh yeah, nobody likes that. We just talk louder. And it's like, that works for you, (laughs) but like, I can't like, Yeah, 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 if I can't hear what's going on and it just, the noise is just, you know, overwhelming. And so, but you know, that's really, autism is really just a a difference in how your brain's wired. So it's a different way of thinking and perceiving and socializing. And that's, that's basically it for autism. And then there's co-occurring conditions, which may or may not be present. And that could be, you know, cognition, could be speech, could be ADHD, could be a whole bunch of other things. Is like OCD following that too? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like a huge umbrella of other things. And so typically when someone thinks of like autism, they think of like the most highest support needs, which is someone that can't talk and, you know, very low IQ. And that that's not part of the diagnostics for autism. 
autism's if i'm not mistaken isn't it the one that where like some people like have like extremely high uh like math capabilities yeah you you can have that like like you know, for me, I get dopamine from work. That's how I could work at Dell eight to five and then do the other job seven to 11 because, you know, I could really sit and focus and, and just crank out the work. And I loved it. You know, I would rather do that yeah. than go to a party. Um, right. <laughs> just, just not normal. Um, but you know, you know, allows me to play to my strengths and it's, you know, really been, it's really been helpful for me from a you know business standpoint. Um, to be able to do that. To me, it's not work. I mean, Elon Musk talks about working, I don't know, 80 to 100 hours a week. But if yeah. if, if if you're a social extrovert and you get energy from social conversations, well, for someone that's wired this way, that's what you get from work. It's like, it's, so right. it's like to work 80 to 100 hours a week is like, why would you not work 80 to 100 hours a week if that's yeah. that's where you get your energy from? It's just, and yeah. it's, it, it's really... Um, it's been stigmatized and I think it's just because of a lack of awareness and it's not um, that I think autistic people are deficient or defective. It's just, we're just different. And so it's, you know, it's yeah. kind of like being left-handed versus right-handed. It's just born that way. And mm -hmm. it's just your brain works in a different way. Um, and I think, you know, the more society becomes aware of that, the, the stigma should drop. Um, and it's yeah. not something that's a negative. Um, and so, yeah, so, but, you know, I've really not known for, you know, a little over a year, year and a half, um, that I've, I'm even autistic. And now I see that my dad was autistic wow. too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, huh? Yeah. So you have all these generations of people that were just never diagnosed because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like there's some version of myself that's like either autistic or OCD just cause like, I feel like my mind just doesn't think in the same way that other people think mm -hmm. like. I don't know. I mean, some, some of the things maybe like just business minded, but like I'll do some weird things where it's like, you know, I make my coffee and like, I literally like rearrange in the order of like how I do things. Like I pull out the tray, I, I put the filter <laughs> in, I, I grab the coffee and I'm like, okay, do I put my ice in my cup? So I drink my ice black coffee every yeah. day. I'm like, do I put my ice in my cup first? Or do I put my ice in my cup last? Do I, do I hit the buttons on the machine first? Do I, you know what I mean? So like I, I every day I kind of like, almost iterate like what what i'm doing in my coffee making process right. but there's like like a ton of different things throughout the day that i just do like if it's a repetitive mm -hmm. task I, I like in my head i'll analyze like how do i do this quicker and yeah like, that's very up, yeah dude. that's very kind of autistic like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the you know the routines and the structure for that is really you know it's really about managing anxiety and it's like, if you do it the same way, it just becomes comfortable. Like there's this other thing, it's, they call it sameness where, you know, we tend to eat the same foods over and over and over again. And it's not that we don't like other foods. It's just, it's, it feels more natural. Yeah. And easier just to eat the same thing. I was like, yeah, I eat peanut butter and jelly K through 12. <laughs> so do you, do you feel like, uh, with being autistic, there's been like certain things that have like kind of helped you with business. Yeah. I mean, being able to focus is, is a huge one. Um, and I, I think it's also like Steve jobs, you know, they're saying was autistic as well. And he had a saying the best idea should win. And I think, you know, when you're autistic, you tend to, um, you know, not be as focused on the hierarchy of like, who's the most senior person in the room you don't have as much of a need to fit in. 
it's like, yeah, just the best idea should win. doesn't matter who it comes from. I mean, I think it just makes yeah. for a better organization. Um, if you're not, you know, if people are free to speak up and, you know, if the senior person has like an idea that's not great, you're just like, all right, just move on. We're not going <laughs> to yeah. do that. But, um, you know, when I've worked for the larger companies, it, it was, you know, a bit that it was like people didn't even didn't even chime in because, you know, you're two steps below right. somebody else at the table and you're not going to even speak up. And so I think, yeah. you know, being autistic is it's, um, you know, being more open to different ideas and it's, you know, whoever has the best idea, let's just go with that. It just doesn't matter. I understand. I mean, like, like, I don't know if I am or am not autistic, but I definitely feel like I understand exactly what you're saying. Like there's like this, like this way of like thinking about things like differently of like, you know, whereas a lot of people will be like, this is the way, the way it should be done. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, it's more of like a, why? You know, like it's just like a constant, yeah. like, yeah, it's like, this is the way we've always done things is like, that's not enough. <laughs> it's like, how can we make yeah. it better? Like it's, it's always yeah. like in a state of constant, you know, continuous improvement. And, um, you know, I, I think with most things, especially if it's process related, it's, you're never finished. It's, you it can always get, even like designing a website, it, it can always get better <laughs> It's or your product can get better. Um, and it's yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of online assessments that you know if you're you know ever curious kind of where you where you fall on the scale, it it kind of um, there's one. It's interesting. It's um, uh, this guy Simon Baron Cohen. I think he's cousins with Sasha Baron Cohen. It's kind of funny, but he's like a Cambridge professor that's a leader in autistic research, and he has like a fifty question. Um, uh, test i guess quiz, or quiz yeah. yeah that you can take and you know kind of see kind of where you score um because you know everyone uh, the, the typical person scores like 16 or 17 out of 50 uh, and autistic people tend to score 30 and above and when yeah. i took it i scored a 43 <laughs> i was like oh <laughs> but yeah so there's um yeah it's kind of you know, in a, in a matter of a few minutes, you can, you know, take some of those um, screening tools, I guess they're called, and, and really get a sense mm -hmm. for kind of kind of where you are. But I think um, if you look at the professions that are autistic, it's really doctors and engineers or the, the <laughs> typical communities where you, where you find autistic people mm -hmm. and computer programmers. Yeah, I feel like that type of mind is like a very like analyzation type of mind. Yeah, very logical. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> but yep. What's the so so kind of change change topics completely, but uh you're 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 starting to to reshore and start to starting to do some of your manufacturing here in the US. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, we're starting this summer, June, July time frame is what we're targeting. And so we're you know, we have a new electric motor technology that we're, you know, launching along with it, which is the engine for the air purifier. Um, and um, super excited about doing that because, you know, we have really better performance and lower price than the Chinese imports. And so I think that's, <laughs> I'm more of a marketing guy standpoint. It's like, that's a really easy message um, <laughs> to, to sell. And then, um, you know, with this uh, motor platform, you know, we can really theoretically make anything with an electric motor. And so now we're, you know, really just trying to get 
this going and, you know, get all the quality in place and, and, um, ramp up. And then once we're in high volume production, you know, kind of figure out what we want to be when we grow up and, um, see what else we want to make. Cause we've got uh, tool room, you know, machine shop, um, you know, assembly, you know, all the shipping and warehousing. So it's kind of a one-stop shop. Um, we don't do the injection molding here. We, you know, get a uh, local company does that, but, um, but we handle a lot of it. And so I'm really excited <laughs> with kind of what we've been building. It's been, you know, two, three years of um, hard work finally, finally coming together. What, what is your projection as far as uh, like products? How many, how many products do you have any, like a, a goal of like how many products or like a, a certain like type or category of product? Yeah, I mean, right now we're starting with just air moving products and fans. So it's air purifiers. And then there's some other like HVAC type type products, um, like ventilation type type products just to stay within a family. But I see maybe later next year, the year after branching out into, um, you know, some other categories. You know, one of our competitors is Dyson and can kind of see what they make and <laughs> so um not really sure where we're gonna go there's it's also interesting that you know we've had some companies reach out to us just because um th there's this this move recently and wanting to move manufacturing away from china um but people don't know how to do it and so, <laughs> so you know potentially we, we would contract manufacture for some other folks but you know we'll, we'll see how that plays out you know i'm not really sure uh, where that's going to go, but it's definitely a capability that, you know, that we have. And so I think that could be um, an, another aspect of our business for, for next year. Might have to, I might have to check out one of your air purifiers. All right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> be up this summer. What, what are some other valuable tips that you have to, to add to the community, helping them through their career? Yeah. I mean, I'd say, you know, um, you know, you, you don't have to crush it in year one. I think it's like, you, if you think about it, when you go to work, you know, it's a, you know, given how long we live and um, it could easily be a 50 year plus career. And so um, you just kind of map out like what your goals are and, and then work backwards from there. And, and, you know, very few people crush it, you know, first year or two. <laughs> and so, you know, kind of set realistic yeah. objection uh, objectives and, you know, make sure you have enough uh, finances to support, you know, kind of what you're doing and make sure it's realistic and, um, and, and focus on the customer is, is kind of the kind of the highlights that I would say. I mean, also too, is like, uh, kind of like to stem off that a little bit. Like if there's a dream and a vision of something that you're wanting to accomplish and you're, and you see like, it's, it's so far out to make money off of it, like try to, to, to be able to support you financially, uh, find some other thing around that that is easier to to be able to start making money from it that way if you're if you are you know if you are trying to like start your own business or, or try to come up with some product that you're able to start get, gaining some experience in that ecosystem like i think i think it's very very cool that you mentioned like you did e-commerce and you and you were selling your air purifiers there like that probably had to, had to have like some significant value add to like your mentality to like the the systems itself and and also just marketing too. You had marketing experience, so now it's like now now you have like the ability to market a product, but you you would have never like had those type of thing. You never had like the ability to like 
sell that product and, and, and promote that product if you hadn't have had those other experiences first that were in the ecosystem. Yeah, def definitely. I had a lot of on the job learning. And so, I, you know, I think, you know, if you think about it, if you're going to work for 50 years, you know, you could work for a company and get the experience and understand, um, you know, how things work um, before venturing off onto your on your own. But I would also say, I think there's so much opportunity right now. You know, if you went back to pre 2000, there weren't very many people going off starting their own business. Um, it's the internet's really changed things and opened it up yeah. to so many folks for opportunities that didn't e exist for generations before. So I'm, I just feel like super lucky to be um, kind of alive and working <laughs> at this time, because yeah. if you look at previous generations, like they didn't have those opportunities and they were stuck working mm -hmm. at other companies. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, with working at a company, but if you have dreams of going off and, and, you know, doing, uh, more entrepreneurial type activities, um, there, it's just, you know, it, there's so many opportunities and things are changing. Like with AI, I, who, I don't know what's going to happen with that. Yeah, so yeah. whole another, you know, that yeah. that's, it's just, um, it's a real, real game changer and the whole, like, um, climate change and you know certain things there with a ton of money going into chips and you know who knows what's gonna you know kind of fall out from that but um you know things are changing and whenever there's change there's opportunity and so i think it's really understanding the market and figuring out where you fit in i think definitely paying attention to ai space is like extremely important um you know, it's, it's one of those things that could definitely disrupt us if you think about technology wise like my stage and age in life we didn't even really hit like a, a high level of technology until like 20, 25 years ago or something like that. Like that's just when we were, I mean, you know, I grew up with the, the box TV and the turn dials on yeah. still. So like <laughs> Flyers. that was the level of technology. Yeah. And that was the level of technology then. It's like now people are being born with smartphones in their hands. Like no telling what, you know, the, the, the future increases of technologies are going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I was watching a TV show, um, Fargo, I guess. And, um, they, you know, they were making phone calls and you have to go to a phone booth and put a quarter in to, <laughs> to call someone. So, yeah. I mean, things have changed fast and, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's an exciting time. You know, I think these are kind of early days still. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's being patient and, and being aware for, you know, what your talents and skills are and, and, you know, and, you know, do really, you know, ideally do what you like to do because, um, yeah, I guess another Steve Jobs quote was, was, you know, why they kept sticking with it. And he goes, well, a normal, a rational person wouldn't stick with it. It's like the crazy ones. <laughs> like you have to like really want it. Cause it's a, it's a competitive world. Um, you know, and you have to put in, you know, have to put in the effort for sure. Um, but yeah, but it's, for Absolutely. me, it's fun, but um, but there, there definitely are days that are stressful <laughs> to, be, to be honest. It's, it's not all, you know, it's not all roses, you know, every day. So yeah, definitely a good point of advice. Anybody who's going to start a company, learn, learn how to deal with stress. <laughs> <laughs> That's been like a big one. It's like that, that for me and I, I, I really even like the past couple of months, I've like done better, better than ever with like some situation of like, this is not going smoothly. You know, we have to solve X problem. And like before it was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm just thinking of immediate, like just tense stress. 
and now now i'm just like more like okay okay all right we'll figure it out you know it's because like when it comes to business especially the more and more you grow and the faster you try to grow like things are just going to come like it's just inevitable that more thing more bad things not more good things come too, mm -hmm. right? But there all will be more bad things as well, just because you're doing more things, right? Like, yeah. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with Seth Godin, but he did a, a he's a marketing like thought leader, and he did a, a keynote one time, and he he was saying a lot of the problems we have are, are really not that difficult to solve. We just don't want to solve them. And they did this experiment where like you wrote down your biggest problem on a piece of paper and then handed it to the stranger sitting next to you. And it's like, oh, that person can tell you what you need to do, but you yourself don't want to do what you need to do to solve the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, yeah. wow. So, you know, when I think about when we have a problem, it's like, well, if I handed someone this description of the problem that I didn't know that would objectively evaluate mm -hmm. it the, the the solutions yeah. are, are are really not that complicated a lot of times it's just i don't know if it's a bit of cognitive dissonance or like we're just not wanting yeah. to do <laughs> yeah. yeah i think it's like yeah you get blinded from the stress and you're like you can get caught up in ignoring ignoring a situation i, I definitely feel like the best like whenever there are those things that i don't want to handle and I, and I go in i handle them yeah. like especially if i let a few of them build up or I was just busy or something yeah. like that. Then I knock out like three of them in one day. And I'm just like, ah, oh. Peter, where can people find you? At? Yeah, I would say on LinkedIn, um, Peter dash man, M A N N. Um, I think I come up uh, in the search results. So yeah, happy to um, chat with anyone, you know, around manufacturing or even, you know, autism. Um, yep. Just leaving it at that. <laughs> Good deal. Well, thank you very much for being on today, Peter. Uh, Definitely an enjoyable conversation. Yep. Thanks, Malachi. I enjoyed it. Thank you. You have you a good too. one.